everyone, and welcome back to But Why the Podcast, the podcast where every week, me, Kate, Adrian, and Matt talk about the things in pop culture that people say matter and ask the question, but why though? Before we get started, make sure that you rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or anywhere you listen to us. It really helps us out, and if you want to support us a little more, head on over to patreon.com forward slash but why though PC. Enjoy the show. But why love the podcast? And today we are honoring the legendary and iconic Steve Ditko. As always, I'm your host, Kate, and I'm here with Adrian. Hey, how's it going? And Matt. Hello. And our special guest, uh, editor of our site, Lizzie Garcia. Hi. <laughs> Hello. I sound so tiny. I know. <laughs> uh, so thank you so much for joining us today, Lizzie. We wanted to make sure you get somebody else who loves comics on here. And can talk a little bit about, you know, the impact that Steve Ditko's had. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm qualified. I did name my cat Spider-Man. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) The day I got her, she jumped on a wall and did a backflip. That's close. So that's, like, she's a wall-crawling menace. That's why she's named that. She's a wall-crawling menace. That's are you JJ? I do have a degree in mass communications, and I have worked (laughs) at a few different journalists places so now the cause yes. you want for your next convention is you as Jameson J. Jonah Jameson. i'm gonna do a female J. Jonah Jameson, but still with a mustache that would be awesome <laughs> and carrying your little spider-man around yes. the camera yes <laughs> yes <sighs> okay so <laughs> so as always we're going to start with the question and it's really simple it's uh did you know who steve ditko was and uh, we can start with Adrian. Yes. Um, mainly just because Spider-Man, like, growing up, was, like, one of my favorite um, superheroes. I don't know, like, a whole lot about, like, his life and kind of, like, how he got into stuff. So I'll be learning a lot there. And then we've talked about him a few few times throughout the, you know, the life of the podcast when we're talking about, like, Spider-Man and, like, other superheroes. So I have, uh, I think, more knowledge than the average person in the United States, but not like as much as like you or uh, Izzy. <laughs> yes, as long as we beat the average of the United States, we're great. <laughs> I mean, it's always the bar that I set for myself. <laughs> Am I better yeah. than the averagest of the average in the United States of America? Am I in the 52nd percentile? <laughs> exactly. <Yeah>. Screw <laughs> average. I think I'm about in the 53rd percentile. <laughs> wow. So do you want to go into yours? No, because I mean, I pretty much about what basically what Adrian said. All I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> so you're smarter than your average bear. Yes, I mean, I knew who he was. I knew Spider Man. I knew he did some. He drew a lot of comics and some other. I think Doctor Strange and some other characters. And that's about where we are. Okay. Well, you're about to learn a lot of stuff because he did more than just draw. Dun dun dun. Get ready. Um, how about? Uh, I guess I'll go. Um, I love Steve Ditko. Um, his art. 
Um, so I, I knew a lot about him and a lot of the information on how integral he was to the success of Marvel, I knew. But I also knew that he's really like a name that doesn't come up as much when you talk about the greats of Silver Age because he usually gets overshadowed by Stan and uh, Stan and Jack Kirby. Um, unfortunately, we'll talk a little bit about that too as we go on. Um, but obviously, Spider-Man is a beloved character of mine. So, uh, Steve. So you in about him. the seventy percentile range? Yeah, probably about okay. seventy. No. I'd say about like 75, about 75%. Okay. Yeah. Lizzie? Um, I I mean, everybody kind of knows Steve Ditko for Spider-Man. I really love his pseudo 1950s, 1960s futuristic style. He kind of helped pioneer, especially with comics like Doctor Strange. Um, it's also really cool to see how his style still affects modern comics because it does uh, in a lot of different ways. Um, so I'm I'm a huge fan of space, and he draws really good space. Like he <laughs> he also just he had like a, a love of kind of like he had a really dry humor, and like you'll see panels where it's like an alien comes in, it's like I'm abducting you, and the guy's like okay, it's <laughs> like. I, I just love that aesthetic, um, especially so you, pseudo-futuristic. So when you mean space, are you talking about, like, space or space-space? Like, not, like, there is space on this table. I think she she means, like... I mean, like, space. the outer space. Like, okay. the 1960s was, like, the emergence of NASA, so there yes. was a... Okay, that's what, I was making sure that it wasn't referring space. to some, no. like, art term that I don't understand of, like, no. space and, like abstract thing i mean it that's i appreciate how intelligent you think i am <laughs> or, man, i was a little you mad i was like oh man she's she's getting real deep into that's it. what i'm saying i was like i don't know anything about art i'm I like man i, was like, I mean he did some... use his panel space really well in a lot of things he did have a lot of he wasn't afraid of white space which is impressive but he also wasn't afraid of outer space <laughs> Yes, you got to add that outer part because I was. Yeah, I didn't realize that I did, but I I will know for future reference. I'm terrible at art. Everybody knows this. I can't draw stick figures. I can't do anything. You can be terrible at art and still appreciate it. Yeah. I terrible at art. You can still appreciate the space, Matt. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I appreciate outer space, but I also look at the. Physics of that. Stop talking. <laughs> All numbers. Okay. So let's move into um, away from space and into his life. Um, Back to Earth. Yes. That would have been a better transition. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. Yep. <laughs> okay. So uh, Stephen J. Ditko was born on November 2nd. 1927 in Jonestown, Pennsylvania, to a first generation, uh, to first generation Americans of Slavic descent. Uh, inspired by his father's love of newspaper comic strips, particularly Hal Foster's Prince Valiant, Dicko found his interest in comics accelerated by the introduction of the superhero Batman and by Walt Eisner's The Spirit, which appeared in a tabloid-sized comic book insert in Sunday newspapers. So, what you need to understand is like. Ditko's childhood is really in this space 
of the golden age of comics, of where comics are coming to be more like what we understand nowadays. And we're seeing the emergence of these big name figures and how people look up to um, writers and artists like him or Stan, this he had an equivalent to that for Batman um, that he really admired. And we'll see how that plays into um, the rest of his life. So in junior high school, he was a part of a group of students who crafted wooden models of German airplanes to aid civilian World War II aircraft spotters. So he's like always been involved in creating and as well as um, the military. And when he graduated high school in 1945, he enlisted in the U.S. Army and he did uh, service in post-war Germany where he drew comics for the Army newspaper. So he's always been creating. Um after the army, he studied under Jerry Robinson, and Jerry Robinson was the artist behind Batman that he really, really admired and was essentially his hero, his, like, his Steve Ditko. Um, like, you know, Ditko is for a lot of artists now. Um, in This was in New York City, and he was able to take classes at that school because of the GI Bill at the time. And Robinson helped Ditko actually get a scholarship after his first year, because he saw that Ditko may not have been the best artist in the class, but he had this like unrelenting determination to get better, learn new styles, and really learn how to present himself on the page. And so um, uh, Jerry Robinson really put everything he could into making sure that Ditko could progress. So Stan Lee actually came to speak in his class while he was the editor of Atlas Comics. And if you don't know out there, um, Atlas Comics was the precursor to Marvel. Um, so that started, that Atlas Comics leads into Marvel Comics. And in 1953, Ditko started and pu uh, published his first comic uh, called Paper Romance in Daring Love Number One. And after he worked with Joe Simon and Jack Kirby, um, he started as an inker, but he quickly began um, learning from Mort Meskin, and this led to him actually owning a lot of the panels. He started as a what? Inker. What is an inker? So an inker is the person who, uh, there's usually pencils, which is the actual artist, so the art and then the inker goes over it with the darker ink because everything is drawn in pencil um so an inker is also in addition to just basically tracing uh they're also adding more shadow and depth and then a colorist adds the color um usually and right and then the there's the letter who at the letters so uh depending on the comic a lot of there are uh artists who always do their own inks and then there's artists who don't uh, uh but like for example jim lee always works with like the same inker so they're usually pretty closely, they know each yeah. other's styles. Uh, Inger is, is a really great like starting position if you're wanting to be an artist in comics. Which I think a lot of people don't understand the amount of like teamwork and cohesion or like even just like the fact that teams go into comics. Like it's yes. not just a writer and an artist. Yes. Um, it is like a well-oiled machine or should be, otherwise yes. you end up with a bad comic. Yes. And, <laughs> and also like if, if you have a bad inker, your comic's going to look like crap. If you have a bad letterer, like I've literally put down comics because I cannot stand the letterer. <laughs> and I'm a freaking snob. <laughs> um, so it cleared up? Yeah. Yeah. So he had like a really great inking job with Joe Simon and Jack Kirby, which are two names that I'm assuming everybody out there understands. 
um, or like knows because they're yeah big big names. Um, Who are those people? Are you serious? Yeah, I mean not everybody oh, knows. Oh, yeah, I mean right, like. Yeah. Dang, here we go again. We, we, we run a, an education and fun podcast. Not everybody's going to know we, everything. We about forget that we are above the 50s. <laughs> yeah. But not everyone is. <laughs> oh, God. I always sound like an asshole on here. Okay. Let's um, make comment, cake. <laughs> Gosh, Adrian. You're just always a um, Don't ever know anything. <laughs> oh, God. I think I've actually only done that to you. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know what a, I mean. I know what an inker is. I mean, I know who Jack Kirby and Joe Simon are, but like, not everyone else does. Okay, Joe Simon and Jack Kirby are two of the cornerstones of Silver Age comics, and they created Captain America. Um, and you also know Jack Kirby because he did a lot of the art um, of Stanley's comics. They were a giant team. Does that help? Yeah, as I mean, well I'm just trying. I'm just trying to like you put it. Pers- yes, Mister Miracle. That's uh, about that's all that. Jack Kirby. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty yeah. much I'm, all the names that you know now, Jack Kirby had some hand in. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, that puts it yeah, in the perspective Marvel. of like how big him working with those, like, so early on in his career is compared to like if he didn't work with yeah. Jack Kirby. And Not that Simon. this is about Jack Kirby, but if you are looking for a literal, like, page for page, panel for panel, like, influence of Jack Kirby, Tom King's Mr. Miracle with Mitch Gerards is perfect. <sighs> Okay, so all they, is we need to bring you back for our Jack Kirby. <laughs> but yeah. Oh, I, yes, please. <laughs> I will come back. So after um, 53, as he's in New York City in 1955, he starts his career specifically at Marvel. Um, and this is where he starts his most notable run. And this is with uh, Strange Tales, which is a Marvel classic. And where uh, Strange Tales... Amazing Adventures and Strange Worlds, Tales of Suspense, and Tales um, and Tales to Astonish. These are some of the iconic titles that a lot of your favorite superheroes have come from, uh, including Spider-Man. He worked with Kirby, Don Heck, uh, Joe Sinat, and Stan Lee. Um, and out of those, essentially what would happen is, so these books were tiny little tales um, that were put together in one comic. And at the end, what would happen is Stan and Steve would put together a a story at the very end that was really self-reflexive. And these became a really, really big hit. And how we end up branching off into Spider-Man. And this is where we start about why those. And really get into um, how what Ditko did wasn't just like make a character and throw it into the world. But he really guided that character. And he wasn't just an artist. Um, he was also a storyteller, which I think a lot of people don't realize that some artists do put together the entire story. And so, um, do people know what that means? Oh no, but I do have it. I do have okay. it as the Marvel method in my notes because so it is the Marvel it. method. It is coming back as well, which is Everybody. surprising me. Uh, all of DC's new Age of Heroes is done in storyteller style. Really? Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh wow. Okay, so I'm just going to say what the Marvel method is now so we can kind of have context. Um, why, so why, why are we got to explain? Everyone knows what it is. This one, no. I'm so confused. <laughs> Matt doesn't. We're doing it for Matt. <laughs> That's fine. The Marvel method is essentially the artist building out the story first. So what happens, and this is what happened on Spider-Man, Steve Ditko would draw the entire comic, everything out, and then Stan would just go in and write the words. 
So he would put together the actual flow of the story and Stan would add words to the story. Um, it doesn't really sound intuitive because you would assume that you need words or stuff to go first. Um, but what Ditko was able to do was he was in his specific style um, he drew so much emotion in like the smallest of faces that he was able to guide Stan's hand when Stan was writing those stories. Um, and that's essentially the Marvel method because that this is what starts it essentially, um, as well as a lot of the collaborations with Jack Kirby and Stan and stuff like that. In a more modern way of doing it, it just basically means that a character ends and that particular arc story arc is done um it so with the artist and the writer much more collaborative um so like if you look at sideways which is a current new um new age of heroes for dc uh that's going to be uh kenneth rockford who is the main artist on that he's considered one of the storytellers and he's cre considered a creator of sideways as opposed to usually even if an artist is doing a comic on a brand new character for example spider gwen um it's not considered his or her character unless it's in a storytelling method and then they're considered a co-creator yep which is how you end up with um, um, with a lot of the Marvel. Like when you hear stuff come out of like Silver Age Marvel, it's usually this was created by this person and this person, and it's because they were working in this in this Marvel way of writing. Um, yes, I it it does have its controversies. Though. Yes, um, I'll say which that is also really rooted in Ditko and Stanley. Yes, <laughs> um, which we'll get to as we move through Spider Man. So does that work for everybody? Everybody understand it? Yes. Yeah. All right. Cool. Um, so yeah, so that that's um so this is one of the really important things because I a lot of the time and I I don't know if it's just like recent, but like when you hear people talk about Spider Man, um, and I, I honestly don't know if it's because Stan Lee has always been the face, but you always hear, Oh yeah, this is Stan Lee's character, and a lot of the time they drop off Steve Ditko without realizing that for Ditko he he latched on to who Spider-Man was as his core because Ditko had a love of the ordinary and felt this need to have that resonate with people. And we talked a little bit about this in our Spider-Man episode, episode 24, which Matt led. Um, but I'm gonna get I'm kind of gonna go like a lot more into what Steve Ditko contributed. Um, which is more about the visuals and also a heavy leaning towards um, the ordinary. Like, I'm really, really going to, like, focus on that here. Um, so Spidey came around from Marvel believing that they needed to have a teen hero for kids for them to relate with. And the artist was supposed to be Jack Kirby, but Kirby thought that the outline for what would become Spider-Man was too heroic. And Kirby wanted to work on something that wasn't so cookie cutter good. Um, what he didn't realize and what Steve Ditko brings to the character when he takes on this project with Lee is that Spider-Man ultimately becomes revolutionary because of how ordinary he is um, and his ordinary life problems that Steve Ditko has such a focus on. Um, and so uh, as we just talked about, the story was worked was er worked on through the Marvel method. And as 
the artist would plot the story and as Ditko would, would plot the story, um, he would accentuate every, like every dramatic event Ditko planned as much as Stan wrote. And this very much makes him every bit of a writer for Spider-Man is and every bit of a creator of the character, um, which is why um, I saw some people, I mean, maybe it's just because it's Twitter, but a lot of people were like, oh no, or, oh, I didn't know Steve Ditko wrote Spider, or drew, drew Spider-Man. I'm like, he create he helped create Spider-Man. Um, so with his passing, I think a lot of people started to realize how much he actually did. Um, I and, also think, just to cut you off for a hot yeah. second, um, I think the Marvel method, legally speaking, also means that they never had to say Ditko as a co-creator. Pretty much. Um, so that also is part of the reason that people yeah. to this day think it was all Stan or yes. an unnamed artist or, and don't consider it. Yeah. If you haven't realized from a lot of oh, our I episodes agree. when the legality of things was very fishy back then. Yes. Uh, let's talk about yeah, one, one episode you should do uh, Bill Finger and uh, Bob what? Kane. Bill Finger is the actual creator of Batman. Oh. There's a Hulu documentary. Go find it. Okay. But yeah, back to that fishy legality. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. So this is a quote from um, Blake Blip. Blake Bell, who's the author of Strained and Stranger, the world of Steve Ditko. And it says, it was Steve Ditko who wanted to ground the strip in reality to see what it was to be a hero through the eyes of a teenager and a struggle. Um, so this is very much what he brought to it. And it was the art that made Peter ordinary. And it was the expressions that made readers see themselves in the character beyond anything else. Um, his angst, which was really important important and central to what Ditko was drawing revolved around unfulfilled crushes and ill health of his caretaker Aunt May. And he didn't fight world-threatening cosmic villains, but costumed bank robbers, street thugs um, like Vulture and Sandman. And his most famous enemies, along with the Green Goblin, um, Goblin was Dr. Octopus. And so they were these things that were alien, but not. They were the Spider-Man rogues gallery is one of the strongest. And a lot of that has to do with Ditko grounding these characters in humanity. Because before Lee would get to them, Ditko had already decided that this was going to be a human. This was going to be a person. It wasn't going to be somebody not from this realm. And so one of the cool things that you see happen, and a lot of it has to do with persona shifts. So I think everybody understands that there's a difference between Peter Parker and Spider-Man. They kind of inhabit two different personalities. And a lot of that has to do with how Ditko drew him and how Peter was also transformed into something a little bit alien once he covered the entire suit uh, or once he put on the suit. Because at the time that Ditko drew Spider-Man with his face entirely covered, that was not common at all in comic books. Your hero's face was almost always shown. Um, so that was, or at least a piece of the face, but for Spider-Man to show up with his entire face covered in red and looking so different, that was something that you would usually see with like a villain. Um, so it was really revolutionary for the character in that way. Um, and in fact, the way that he is able to show stark differences in one character, um, in different characters' moods is what he became known for and praised, specifically his use. Like, um, I was looking at some 
uh, pages of an art book and they called it like the grotesque faces of Steve Ditko. And that was because he focused on really using real emotions. Um, he didn't dial it down or make it more palatable. If Peter was in pain, he was in pain and you saw it on his face. And when people were yelling, you saw that on his face. And it makes for beautiful art that is also kind of distressing when you focus in on like a, a very like close snapshot of like somebody like um, Osborne and the Green Goblin and stuff like that. Um, so ultimately what happens is Stan Lee was the face of Marvel and all of the characters that he helped create. And some of this is due to uh, Steve Ditko's personality because Steve Ditko is essentially like a recluse. Um, he did not want to talk to people. He did not want to be involved in a lot of this stuff. Um, but because Stanley is such an overwhelming like personality, and this is nothing against Stan, like he's a hype man, he's a showman, like that—that's who he is. He's a salesman. Um, he's Sales a salesman. Yeah. <laughs> Peter Parker, alliteration. That's how you can tell. Uh, you know, like that's what Lee did, and so for a lot of the time, this meant that Lee was like, like Lizzie said ended up taking a lot of credit for the work. Um, whether it was purposefully or not purposefully, um, there is a dynamic between the two that ends up becoming strained. Um, and this is essentially why the Marvel method isn't considered the best, because if you don't have two people working in tandem and collaboratively, like collaboratively, really collaboratively, you end up butting heads. Um, and this happened a lot with um, Steve and Stan. And uh, it was really, really highlighted in the reveal of Electro, which Steve Ditko um, wanted to highlight the fact that Electro was an ordinary person who had an accident. And so when he's unmasked, you see that he's a human. Uh, you see that he's just a guy. Um, and Lee actually put in the line where Spider-Man kind of makes, like, it's pointless. Like, it's this, this guy is pointless because he's a regular guy. Um, and so you see a lot of this happening in their later issues together where... Uh, Ditko would draw a panel a certain way and because Lee didn't agree with it would actually write words to kind of like punch down on it a little bit like really passive aggressive um, that being said Ditko would purposely draw panels that he knew Stan wouldn't like and this is why the Marvel method is not heralded as the best um, because when you have your writer and your artist competing in that way it makes it really hard to get stuff done and it eventually leads to Steve leaving uh, Spider-Man. Um, so ultimately the Spidey that Ditko helped to create was a hero who was so nor normal that he stood out against people like Superman and Batman. He wasn't rich. He wasn't loved by everybody. In fact, he's like really reviled by most of the people that he's working with. He was constantly struggling to keep his head above wa water, whether he was paying rent or being bullied. And he was constantly plagued with really, really bad luck. And like Matt says in our Spidey episode, this was the this was the essence of the character and Ditko's so basically the complete opposite of what we have now yes um like this essence that Ditko put in the character is ultimately what helps Marvel get one up on DC 
because at the time they're putting out a lot of the characters that are very similar to each other and very um, detached from the human experience. And so Spider-Man's human experience, which Ditko drew, is the most important. Um, Ditko ends up leaving in 1966 with very little moments, with very little notice. And a lot of people think that this is because of the fundamental disagreements that I mentioned, but you don't, there's not like a hundred percent understanding of why he left. Um, Cause I mean, Ditko really didn't talk to people. Um, but the number one disagreement was that Lee wanted everything to be extremely dramatic and Ditko wanted to focus on making the ordinary scary and extraordinary and deal with that. And this leads to specifically um, the reason we have Osborne as the Green Goblin is because Ditko wanted it that way. Lee didn't want it that way. Um, he wanted it to be somebody that like not a human he wanted it to actually just be a green goblin and it goes like nope it's gonna be osborne and ultimately as much as stanley didn't agree with that the green goblin is one of the most iconic villains and a lot of it is because of that connection that he had to peter um so that kind of is his entire wrap-up for like what he did for spider-man he is also um hold on did i put it down here yeah uh, that's later but yeah, so any questions, any comments on that on that piece? Is that why we have the ugly green goblin they have now? What do you mean? Have you seen the, at least in the latest Spider-Man? Uh, in the Spider-Man or Peter Parker Spidey? The, the... Who writes it? Do you Nobody. Know? The latest cartoon. Is, oh, the, oh. the greatest, the latest cartoon, the goblin is basically mutated. I'm thinking comics. I know. I haven't watched the latest Spidey cartoon. I I, I will say last season, last last two seasons. It's pretty. Um, I will say Steve Ditko's design of Spider Man is so good that they have not changed it for like what is it like 40, 60 plus years. Like yep, that's yep. that's <laughs> unheard of in comics. Yeah, sixty. So Spider Man came out in sixty three, I believe. And yeah, that long without a real costume change. I, that's literally, I can't really think of any, maybe not even, I don't, I can't think of anybody else who hasn't really had a costume change that wasn't, I mean, other than, you know, kind of Superman, he has his trunks back. But yeah. even if you look at original action comics, he looks like a stupid goober. <laughs> <laughs> Batman too. Batman's wearing like a crew neck sweater. <laughs> like, a changed. Yeah. I will say uh, I like Ditko Spidey the most because I love the little the webbing under the arms. It's yes. so good. Um, I do think it's really interesting. Like uh, Spider-Man Homecoming took a lot from Ditko with the webbing. Yeah. Because he 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 has that in, in the movie. Um, yeah. That was one of the things cool. that I saw. There was a lot of nods to like the original visuals of of Spider-Man. Yeah. Homecoming. Um, I think we've Absolutely. talked about it. Like, Matt well, that's said. why I don't like the visual thing because it's completely, it's cool with their visuals, but it, the character's completely opposite. Yeah, that, that's another conversation for another yeah. day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
essentially the Spider-Man that the way that like Matt talked about him in episode 24 and I think kind of like what people alluded to with Steve did goes or talked about with Steve did ghost passing like that the Spider-Man that we have in our heads of this down on his luck kid who is trying like all, all of that is because it did go um and without him it wouldn't have been that way oh my gosh <laughs> she likes the microphone i'm sorry yeah i think for me i mean uh i mean spider-man stuff is dope like i, I think that's a lot like about saying but i really do think like the sinister six is probably my favorite cohort of villains that from any comic book series oh yeah uh, for like a lot of these, like, yeah and I, I don't i don't like want to like re basically we say what you said about you know them being um grounded and everything but you're you're totally right i think that's why like even uh though uh the spider-man might be different like the vulture is still one of the best yeah. villains that the mcu was able to put out mainly because he was grounded and you know we wouldn't have that without steve yeah. so and I, I think you're right and i guess i hadn't really thought about it till now whereas like the spider-man may be different and maybe pulling from like you know a different type of peter the vulture is very much in line with what did go drew um and helped you know help uh, i mean do you see the costume though is that in line with that costume you like right the costume. <laughs> no the old costume no the oh, old, the old, old, the old vulture costume i like that the old vulture costume looks like long johns yeah that's yes. what i'm saying that's why because he was talking about the thing and i was like uh. i mean uh, so, what, so what happened i'll was, take the aviator jacket over the long yeah, john so what with, happened uh, was was they took the steve ditko visuals for spider-man but like changed up the spider-man but they like took the the like the ethos of vulture but changed up the vulture visually i mean spider-man has uh the best rogues gallery probably second to that of batman which is it's mostly because of steve ditko um everybody always says now like the villain that makes you feel something you know, yeah. who has a human experience uh, is one of the best villains, which is why we like MCU uh, Vulture, which is why we like, you know, Batman animated series, Mr. Freeze. Um, and that kind of idea of what it is in a villain is Steve Ditko. Like when it comes to Marvel, and I think it's something the MCU is doing now, which they kind of lost with their giant sky beams in like the first three phases of their movies, our first two phases of their movies. Um, is coming back to like what I think is the most important villains of the Marvel universe in comics, which is Spider-Man's rogues. Like, I, I don't think that there's any other villains in Marvel that I care for as much with like save Magneto. Um, like me, Magneto is probably the only like other Marvel villain that I'm like, Oh, this is top. Um, but like, yeah, I think you're completely right, Adrian. And I think that's definitely why Vulture works so much like on screen is because they brought that back to life. Well, I mean, it's also, we talked about this before and we've even been panels with this whole villain thing of basically a lot of these villains are basically one plus a half or two to yeah. the people. Do you want to explain that? So basically you look at your villains, basically you do it like a person. So a lot of these villains are basically, basically a person and a half. Or basically like equivalent to like a two people compared to your hero yeah compared to your hero or compared to your average not maybe your average person but like basically your person in general yeah unless you're superman and you need a god to fight you guess what i'm saying so basically like sandman's not gonna fight superman or basically green goblin's not is or even electro gonna fight superman because superman would be like a 10 versus they're probably maybe a two yeah as far as the scale of what you're doing yeah that makes sense yeah and the, the Green Goblin thing makes a whole lot of sense, too, because he's not, I mean, like, 
he there are like elements that are kind of like grounded but definitely not like you know like a doc ock or like an electro so i could definitely yeah. see that i didn't know that there was that kind of like you know uh shade thrown going on behind <laughs> behind oh, yeah. the scenes so yeah, yeah. If it, it makes sense given like their the characters like of themselves like it, yeah. it makes sense and I'll try really hard to um, find some of those panels. Um, I, I was reading one of the articles and they were saying that Spider-Man's like quirky, not quirky, but like his like jokes and stuff or like the shade he throws at like villains and stuff when he captures them. Like a lot of that can also be attributed, like j like can be attributed to Steve Ditko because essentially most of the time he did something to to like make Stan say that. And it was essentially Stan saying it to Ditko, um, which is like really, that, that that was their theory. I don't know if it's correct. I just know that that's how like they view a lot of like the, the quippy Spider-Man that we know um, is because yeah. Stan had like legitimate issues with the villains that Ditko was making. That's I like totally thought you were gonna say thief. That's so passive aggressive. Like it's really? worse than like when you like leave a post-it on the fridge that's like, we should all clean the dishes, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there like, I mean, obviously you said that Steve was recluse. So like, I don't, I doubt that the, he talked openly about this, but like to Steve, I mean, uh, does Stan Lee talk openly? Like, no, I don't think we'll ever really know. Steve, I don't think this really Steve was a dick and he wrote these bad like no. things. Oh. And no? I mean, and there's really? not much he can say because ultimately Ditko's art and pro and progress in the story is the reason Spider-Man was successful. Well, that's what I'm saying. Basically both and of people... their legacies are tied to this. And yeah. so basically to, to be, I guess, I don't know what the heck to downplay or fraud yeah. with against one would obviously hurt yourself in this yeah. whole process. So you might as well just never say anything. Yeah. yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, that and like when when Stan has talked about because he's been asked a couple of times because Steve Ditko really didn't Agreed. give any interviews. And so when Stan's been asked, he's just been like, oh, he was a great guy. He did a lot. We did a lot of great work together. And like typical Stan is like a PR Stan, guy, though. he is. He is. He and so how to he, make like, things work. the only people who would know would probably be like Kirby and Stan and Steve and two out of the three have passed and Stan is like, like you said, PR guy all the way. So he's not gonna, he's not gonna do that. Um, okay. But I mean, so like we, like everything we know is just like from people who worked with them had been involved with the comic in some way. Um, and it's just kind of built up this big lore. So it's kind of like, we can't 100% say that Spider-Man's quippy style is because Stanley was extremely passive aggressive, but there are at least two instances where that was confirmed as happening. Um, gotcha. So, yeah. I think that all their legacies are so intertwined that there's no point to bring down one. Yeah, no, you might as well, not. even if you don't like it, just say "great guy" and move on. Yeah. Also, Steve Ditko is just such a—I mean, he was such a private person. Like even in his later years, when comic historians, you know, people who are literal historians of comics who record the record of comics, ref he refused to talk to any of them. He refused to talk to a biographer. He—he he, he just didn't want to. He's just—he's yeah. like, I want to do my craft, and I want you to leave me alone. <laughs> yeah, and that's all it was. Like, and once he stopped working for the big publishers, that was really it. He like would publish stuff from his house and send in like prints. Like he—he he didn't go to offices anymore. He didn't—he really didn't do like anything. And it's kind of—it's kind of sad, but like that's how he wanted to live his life. Like he didn't want that spotlight. 
he just wanted to do his work. Just kind of respect, like, in, in like, I guess, like, in, like, the social media age is something I can really respect. Um, For sure. So, I mean, and we kind of talked about that a little bit with on our Tolkien episode about how Tolkien was kind of the same way. Like, Tolkien didn't want his fans to send him letters and things. Um, but I think those are people who are so, like, it's the production of the art and not the hype around it that they care about. So... Um, yeah, so let's go into his next creation, um, his next biggest creation, and that's Doctor Strange. Um, so Doctor Strange is a surgeon whose hands are injured in a car accident. Seeking to restore his abilities, he travels the world and eventually acquires an exotic caped costume and mystical powers to be used to benefit mankind. Um, so essentially what happens here is you have Doctor Strange, like another human who is hurt and a human who is in a lot of like like his trauma from the ordinary ends up being fixed by the extraordinary and this is where ditko really bridges past reality and you get what um what lizzie was talking about his use of drawing space outer space for matt um, have you seen and, some of that strange stuff i mean we could easily be talking about other types of space yes we could um and really just do surrealistic um drawings but he brought the realism in spiny in, in spider-man but here he really focused on creating like nightmares that were alive and fantasy and like all of this that highlighted like some real dark stuff um the worlds that stephen strange go to aren't always like bright and shiny um and it's something that he's really really loved for um and he essentially this is where he's seen as really proving his artistic skills beyond just doing like facial expressions but really like filling out an entire you know page in just beautiful surreal like i don't even know how to explain it i don't know if you wanted to explain it Lizzie. it's it's like a it, it's the epitome of that 1960s pseudo sci-fi um very very shiny um kind of these i mean the movie dr strange did it incredibly well it, it modernized it especially the moment where he's in an astral plane and and it seems like everything is broken down almost to an atom level um it's very colorful it's it's very shiny i would argue it's it's you know one of the major if you look at modern sci-fi today and sci-fi that went into the 70s where it took a lot from that especially stephen strange the darker grittier stuff um because other than that, you know, uh, it, it was it was shiny. You think of like a Disneyland's Tomorrowland, yeah. um, but Stephen Strange, it, it it had a grittiness to it that was very unique, um, but still kept within that time frame of when it was created. So, since we talked about like, because obviously this is the tail end before he left, could that have been like a lot of these works going into basically having some of these basically drawing out his own like unhappiness of being there. I mean, art is how you want to interpret yeah. it. I can't, I can't verify yeah, that yesterday. I don't know. But I, yeah, <laughs> I, I can tell people. you, Stephen Strange. That that <laughs> book is not that he wasn't creative on Spider Man, but right. I think he had. He felt like he deserved more freedom mm -hmm. on this, um, and I imagine at some point there was just it was just a breaking point where you know whoever it was at Marvel, possibly Stan Lee, said, "I don't." want to give you this much freedom and 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 he left yeah 
because he is. But I mean, that's me putting like a tinfoil hat on. Like, I don't have any confirmation of that. Like, that's, and that's the hardest thing. Like, doing the research for Ditko and stuff, I read a whole bunch of articles because, like, honestly, one, the Wikipedia page is really, really sparse. um, It really is. Not a lot of stuff about him. Um, And a lot of the articles I went into were because it was from like people who did biographies or were trying to do biographies. Biographies. Uh, Not able to. Exactly. Please don't come talk to me. Exactly. I truly believe that like Steve Ditko, he had like a computer. The only website he would go to is Wikipedia to edit his own page to delete things. Like he just retracted it. (laughs) And then he was like, I don't want to internet anymore (laughs) ever again. I could definitely believe that. (laughs) um so like uh eventually lee and ditko would take strange into ever more abstract realms and in an epic 17 issue story arc um which is uh strange tales number 130 and 146 and this is from 65 to 66 before lee um before ditko leaves um lee and ditko introduced the cosmic character of eternity who personified the universe and was depicted as a silhouette whose outlines are filled with the cosmos and this is probably one of the most creative like lizzie said moments of like freedom that ditko has and probably most of like the most elaborate work that he's done and I'll, I'll, I'll include pictures of this in the show notes because it's, it's really gorgeous um, and as historian Bradford W. Wright described Steve Ditko contributed some of his most surrealistic work to the comic book and gave it a disorienting hallucinogenic quality Doctor Strange's adventures took place in bizarre worlds and twisting, di- and twisting dimensions that resembled Salvador Dali paintings inspired by the pulp fiction magicians of Stanley's childhood as well as contemporary beat culture Doctor Strange remarkably predicted the youth counterculture's fascination with Eastern mysticism and psychedelia. Never among Marvel's more popular or accessible characters, Doctor Strange still found a niche uh, niche audience among an audience seeking a challenging alternative to more conventional superhero fanfare. Um, Which is to say, Doctor Strange was really weird. He had a niche audience. There you go. (laughs) Uh, and the cartoonist and fine artist Seth in 2003 described Ditko's style as oddball for mainstream comics, whereas Kirby's Kirby stuff clearly appealed to a boy's sensibility because there was no there was so much raw power. Ditko's work was really delicate and cartoony, and there was a sense of design to it. And you can always recognize anything Ditko designed because it was always flowery. There is a lot of embroidered detail in the art that he produces, which is almost psychedelic. And I would say too, like if you one of the things that we know Spider-Man by is he's like when you look at like hero builds, Spider-Man is always like tiny compared to like a giant Captain America or like even like a Wolverine or like or like and obviously none of these people were on happening at the same time too as I like mentioned them but just like the superhero build that you get like that you see from uh from Cap and Batman and Superman just like those three in and of themselves you just have raw power whereas Spider-Man is much smaller Stephen Strange is much smaller and so you have more focused on the fine details of what those characters can do and how they're drawn and animated versus a very direct style of like I I and, and this isn't to reduce Jack Kirby at all. I think Jack Kirby is an amazing artist, and but it's just a very different style. Um, and that's what sets him apart. I have a really weird love for Steve Ditko's 
Doctor Strange, and I have a weird reason. Um, <laughs> Doctor Strange is someone, as we've said, he gets in a car accident. He loses his ability to be a surgeon because of his hands. So he kind of, in every person who deals with chronic illnesses, desperate attempt to find you know, meaning in their life again when they've lost their passion, you know, he finds mystic arts. But I also think the way it's drawn, and this is going to sound insane, but those, especially like the shapes, he draws what always looks to me like nerve endings. Like when you see what would look like nerve endings on a body in a scan. And to me, it's almost, I mean, once again, art is what you make it. It's not necessarily truth or fiction, but to me, it's, it's, it's almost a metaphor for, you know, the chronic pain that Stephen Strange would be in for just overcoming any type of illness. And I mean, take that with a grain of salt from someone who has like three chronic illnesses. But that's why I like, even though Spider-Man is a character that means a lot to me, the way Stephen Strange is drawn in Ditko's runs is so powerful because it, it, it looks what I imagine fibro pain looks like. Oh, wow. I know that sounds weird. No, it doesn't sound weird at all. It, like, it, that's... And, I, and when you were talking about how, how small Strange is, and he is. He, he's tiny when he's in these worlds, and it's just this – it always looks like nerve endings, uh, you know, scientific nerve endings. He's surrounded by colors and, and, sh- and sharp, sharp lines um, that are almost indicative of, of, of what I would imagine – you know, pain feels like, especially the pain of, you know, having your nerves sewn back together. Cause he does, he has a, he ends up having, you know, nerve, such bad nerve damage that the idea of any world he's in being drawn like nerves are in the body is, is kind of weirdly poetic. Yeah. I mean, and, and I would say too, like, I don't know, just seeing how much detail Ditko put into all his stuff, I wouldn't say that you're wrong, like at all. Like he had to have known what he was doing. Yeah, it's yeah, it, it awesome. looks like nerve endings. Like if you just just Google it and then Google like nerve pain and you'll get, you know, that scientific with the red flare looking thing and it, it's it's weirdly correlated. It's really cool. That's like also a really powerful reason to like love something. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. That's awesome. That's really cool. Uh Matt or anybody have any questions about Stephen Strange? Um, no, <laughs> not, not my favorite. So, <laughs> uh, I do like your, your comparison, though. I think that's super cool and not Thank something you. that I thought about. Um, so no, it's not weird at all. I think you're completely valid in that point. Oh, thank you. I just yeah. googled some of them, I googled some of them as you uh suggested. And it, yeah, they, can I, you kind of see, see it? it? It looks like a yeah. nerve ending. Now I like really want Lizzie to write a blog about it or write a piece uh, maybe about it. <laughs> I, that might I'll put it down that might happen because that's that's really cool like that's something I've never I I've just never put two and two together but you've but, never had to like that's the thing about yeah. sometimes with art the way we interpret art it's like you've never had to interpret it that way because you've yeah. never had to interpret life that way but like the moment yeah. it's open to you it's just like. A whole new world yeah it's all of our like different positionalities that make us see different things and appreciate it for different reasons it's why diversity matters guys <laughs> <laughs> what about you matt i know you love the doctor strange movie well three-fourths of the doctor strange movie yeah <laughs> dermamu not much i have a bargain to make <laughs> 
Somebody told me that was like the greatest ending of any MCU movie. Who was it? Do you talk to them anymore? No. It was a person Who? on Reddit and Matt downloaded him. So. <laughs> this is the worst use of sky beams ever. Yeah. And cut that out. That's all I could think. But no, all I kept thinking is uh, basically if you go through a lot of nerve endings, they're basically neurotransmitters and everything else with the spark and electricity. That's basically probably about right. Looking at it. So you 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 put pictures in the biologist's head, essentially. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Success. <laughs> I find that being chronically ill, I'm like three doctors' appointments away from being a biologist at this point. So. <laughs> <laughs> Outside of Spider-Man and Doctor Strange, he also invent or created the question, the Creeper and Captain Adam for DC. Um, and the question directly inspires Rorschach from um, from Alan Moore's Watchmen, um, which kind of shows you like the importance that that character, as small as some people may think he is, um, I don't think he's small just because of JLU. Oh, I love the question. The question is uh, probably going to end up making appearances in doomsday clock from what i'm understanding really? which because doomsday clock right now is like the watchman dc dc u not eu just u um cross event that's happening for legal reasons because if they don't do a comic about watchmen they lose the rights to watchmen which is never a reason to do a comic but okay well, that's why we get a shooting fantastic four movie every seven years it's yeah true it's true the only Fantastic Four movie I care about didn't come out, and it was created in 1992. <laughs> it's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> um, but, yes, so hey, the question still is a relevant thing that's happening. Yeah, I like the question. I also like uh, Renee Montoya as a question yes. as well. Yes. Um, and he also worked on the Hulk and Iron Man, are two other characters that he's drawn before. Um, but I just figured Strange and Spider-Man are probably his two most, like, him as an artist and, like, his soul as oh, yeah. a character. They're those two. Um, and next, one of the things that I – and I, I – damn, it would have been a great, like, transition into this. Uh, but at drawing humans in pain, that was something that was really important to Ditko. Um, and his iconic pieces in Spider-Man have to do with Spider-Man coming out of pain. Um, and specifically Ditko's ability to, sh like, I, I mentioned it before, the grotesque faces, like drawing and animating a face so small to highlight the trauma that they're experiencing is something that was really important to him and bringing that element of realism was really important as well. And the most iconic panel um, from Spider-Man as a whole, not even just Steve Ditko, but Spider-Man as a whole is Spider-Man being crushed by the rubble and pushing it out and, and coming the out water. with the water flowing over him. And, and that's, that is, and that panel has been, it, it's been like recreated in other comics, other Spider-Man mm -hmm. comics. It's also, it's been almost like, not like Easter egg, but there's, there's moments of it in various Spider-Man movies. Mm -hmm. um, and the and most notably in Homecoming. Yes, yes, uh, but that's 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 a panel that like impacts people. Yeah, like everyone brings that one up because they just it's it's one of those things where you know you never want to see your heroes fail, but when you do see your heroes fail, 
it hurts. And sometimes it's okay. Like comics can hurt you. It's okay. <laughs> You're going to get hurt. I always tell people that when they're like, I want to start collecting comics. And I'm like, I hope you like pain. That's all you're going to feel. And I I think the idea of just a hero who can get hurt a he- where where there are stakes makes a much more compelling story. And I think Ditko is, is, is someone who kind of ushered that in yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah, completely agree. Um, specifically in that panel. Um, the words on the side are from out of pain, from out of the agony comes triumph. And then he lifts it. And it, it's this moment where like you get to understand Spider-Man as a character and like the, it isn't so much as just the masonry being on top of him so much as like his world literally crashing down around him. And like this being the iconic position of what Spider-Man has to be like or what Spider-Man is like constantly being put in the put in this state of having to overcome something. Um and so yeah, I completely agree Lizzie. And I think too like if we look at hero moments now in current comic books, even in in movies, like there's always that moment where you like to see or like you don't like to see, but the best moment is the moment your hero fails and comes up from it. And that's almost like necessary. Oh, yeah. And I think almost all of them in some ways kind of look like this panel. Oh, yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, I the first one that came to my mind, I mean, I know Wonder Woman's not your favorite movie, but the moment she's like, Ares crushes yeah, her. Exactly. She breaks it. And even Superman, you think of Superman breaking the kryptonite train. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of all indicative yeah. of yeah, that, no. that one idea. Yeah. Which is kind of funny because one you came to those and the one that came to my mind was literally just uh rocket talking to thor and he's saying everything's okay yeah oh that you're so <laughs> sensitive <laughs> but it's okay Aww. i was thinking of uh in fast and furious 6 when uh oh. vin diesel gets the the, the garage dropped out dropped on him and he still lives because isn't that the one where he says you the street always wins. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I don't. I don't run one. this podcast, but you're <laughs> grounded. <laughs> like, I, don't... I think you're grounded for knowing that, Lizzie. <laughs> that's yeah, you knew, yeah, you that's knew. You're, you're in the fifty. You know what? You I love Fast and Furious movies because they're stupid. <laughs> they're stupid as shit, and they're great. <laughs> yeah. And we took this great shining moment, on. and we I know Matt was like. I thought about Thor when he lost his entire family and Rocket was like, you're fine. This is, it'll be okay. And then we're like, I thought about the street and its boyfriend, <laughs> hey, Vin Diesel. They, they almost, <laughs> they almost lost the the patriarch in the family. So that's basically the same thing. The rock's fine. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> oh, <shit>. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Tyrese run. Shade. <laughs> somewhere can't see oh, but no. i have thrown shade <laughs> that's right we, we love the shade uh the, the problem in that is amazing uh, but yes matt that was a very good use of thor and yes adrian uh well everyone was saying their moment i wanted on. to say mine i mean yeah. it is it is very much spider-man-y though yeah is it <laughs> really there's rubble crashed on him you know He's struggling to stay alive. It's the same I'm thing. trying to be nice because I insulted Adrian earlier. Oh, you didn't salt, you salted the listeners, not me. Just, yeah. just so we're <laughs> 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 clear. <laughs> just so 
Um, but why do we insult? Is the uh, new name of this podcast. Uh, yeah. Thanks for coming, <laughs> and we'll see you later. Um, yeah. So from under the rubble, we're going to reclaim the podcast and. <laughs> Also, a weird thing because you kept talking about the faces, and I know this is probably wrong, but all I kept thinking about was like, he's like, he draws such great thing on small faces, and all I kept thinking was, like, that doesn't really make sense to me. But then I thought of like Bean when they messed up that painting, and he tried to redraw <laughs> it back, and I was like, I guess a face really does matter. It does matter. Like, think of J. Jonah Jameson without his super angry, exaggerated face. Yeah. Like, it doesn't work. It's not the same. Like, you need that. Also, there's just been a lot of comics where it's like, what is this derp face? Yeah. But also, I appreciate in comics when artists are not afraid to make a character look ugly. Yeah. Eve Ditko was not afraid to make a character look ugly. Because if you are punching something, you don't look pretty. Like, if you think of um, sports photos, you know, when Serena is mid-swing, when, you know, or, you know, during the Olympics, literally mid-action – they don't look pretty. Yeah. They look like they're focused and they're doing what they have to do. And if if you're going for realism art, that that's what you need. They, you need to draw some ugly people. Greg Horn. <laughs> I was just saying, you're talking about like Greg drawing Horn. ugly people and all I think I was like the anatomy of like when you take Greg Land. I'm so mean. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's, I mean, ugly people isn't always anatomy. It's just like ugly faces. Like, they need to look like they're doing things, not which is top honestly, modeling. So is honestly why I get mad at people making fun of Toby Spider-Man and his faces that he makes in that movie when he's like pained. I'm like, he's pained, guys. Like the, that's the, that's the fair. Train. Um, but like, if you make fun of Toby Maguire's Spider-Man where he's dancing, oh, acceptable. that's perfectly fine. I don't. I have, I have I have no problem with any Spider-Man three. I pretend like that movie doesn't exist because it would have been a great trilogy without it. It would have been a great trilogy. A great two movies. Yeah, it would it would have been a great trilogy. Liz- <laughs> um, but yeah. Um, so one of these days, I still think if you add an extra twenty minutes and then try to look at this from a pseudo lens, I think you can still possibly get an okay movie out of it. No, Matt. No, you can't. And we're never. Yeah, gonna... after the like gallon of tequila that I can buy. Yeah, everything looks great. <laughs> I mean, it's not like Justice League bad, but it's. What? Stop Batman. Stop Batman We're not going there. I'd much. Ra- I'd wa- I'll watch Spider Man three before over I watch Justice League. Over yes. Justice League. Oh I yes, I am, actually. I went and Batman v Superman. Okay. But I'll also v. watch Green Lantern. I fell asleep well, in Batman v so. Superman, and I woke up, and we were in a desert, and I was very confused. <laughs> um, Justice League. I went in, and I was like, "This is going to be horrible." And then I was like, "Oh God, that was so fun and horrible." I did the same thing with Suicide Squad. I went in and I was like, this is going to be garbage. And then I left like April Ludgate in Parks and Rec. And I was like, man, I love garbage. <laughs> At least you understand you love garbage. I mean, I will. That's I'm not going to defend those movies. <laughs> they deserve no defense. They deserve everything they get. But much what? like I enjoy the Real Housewives of Orange County, I also <laughs> enjoy Justice League. I mean... Oh, that's hilarious. I made made my cat watch Spider-Man 3 and she was upset. Uh, Yeah, but did you try to get out the window when you put on Justice League? (laughs) 
She doesn't care. I didn't force her to watch. I don't know. I haven't seen it since theaters, so I'd have to buy it. Release the cider cut. Oh, God. It's just going to be like bees. <laughs> so to end like the human in, the humans in pain part of like his his artistic influence and like for this book why though i wanted to like i wanted to use a quote so there was a kind of tormented elegance to the way that his characters stood uh, uh the way this characters stood the way they bent their hands his characters always looked very very highly strung they always looked as if they were on the edge of some kind of revelation or breakdown there was something a bit feverish about steve ditko and this is from alan moore um of watchman fame um and that is essentially like that that sums up everything that we've talked about to this point right like it's 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 summed up dr strange it's sum up it's yeah. summed up it's it's really summed up everything. I think Doctor Strange, Steve Ditko's Doctor Strange, is like a rheumatoid arthritis fever dream. <laughs> like it just looks painful and it looks uncomfortable and creepy, and it's beautiful. That's awesome. Put that on a shirt. Rheumatoid arthritis fever, fever dream. dream. That's my new band name. Called it. <laughs> my name. Oh. <laughs> And then to close it out, ultimately, he's an enigma. He was an enigma, and he kind of still is. Um, sadly, Steve Ditko passed away um, really recently, um, and I can't find an exact date because he actually passed away in his house or in his apartment and was found later. So he essentially his entire life, he just didn't want people to be around him. And I don't want to get into his politics and stuff because there's there's stuff there, too, but ultimately like it his work spoke for him and his work has stood the test of time and he just didn't want he almost didn't want to be praised for it um he would get fan mail and it was really hard for fans to send to send him stuff because he really tried to keep his address scrubbed but if for if a fan did manage to get his address and write to him he'd politely thank them for their appreciation of his previous work and say he'd moved on to other projects and he declined all public appearances, interviews, requests to speak at comic conventions. And he just kind of believed that his art spoke for itself. Like he put it in the world and that was it. He said what he had to say, like just in those comics. And I think that there's something that I can appreciate from that. And ultimately when in an interview, somebody was like, if you don't believe that Steve Ditko was a recluse or an enigma, try to find a photo of him after 1970. Um, you can't. So he, that that's really all I have for him. I think ultimately like what leaving him with is just letting, I guess, the art speak for himself, speak for itself, which is why I included so much about that. Um, I think it's the best way to honor him. And hopefully you out, you all listening here kind of learn some stuff about him and have some new insights into the characters. Uh, so some fan, but why those? Yeah, I'm going to do a fun fact. Oh. Oh. oh, that's my fun fact. Adrian, fun fact. Uh, I did. He drew uh, Transformers comic books in the eighties. Comic books that's or coloring cool. books? Coloring, coloring books. Um, yeah, I mean they're like very like simple and stuff. But I just thought it was interesting because when when he passed, uh, tra- like the Transformers Twitter or something like that, like tweeted something about it, and I was like, "What? I didn't know this." That's so. really cool, and I want one. 
probably they're probably market. not cheap. No, yeah. no, no, they're probably not. Um, okay, so let's go ahead and go into the but why those. Um, fan, oh yeah, the fan but why those. Um, so this is from at Schweitzerman on Twitter. The co-creation of Spider-Man and his rogues and creating one of the greatest moments in comic book history. I saw Spider-Man Homecoming in theaters three times, and each time I wept during the scene where Peter had to lift the fallen masonry. That was Ditko's genius. Another reason why he matters to me is partially because he wasn't as well-known as other artists. I'd go to a convention and always hear people talking about Kirby, Ramita, Miller, etc. I seem to be the only one waving the flag for Steve Ditko at times. Uh, it was wonderful that people are recognizing his work and, con and contributions to the medium, but I wish it didn't It didn't take him dying for that to happen. But then again, the end of Ditko's life is probably just the beginning for him being immortal. Artists come and go, but Steve Ditko will be forever. That's such a, like, a really nice one. Um, and this is from at CJ Wright things, writes things. He helped create a character that resonates with me on so many levels and partly inspired me to take up a career as a writer. Um, this is from at Kiernan Robinson. Spider-Man was the first superhero was my first superhero comic. I read the Silver Age stuff religiously. Steve Ditko's work gave me an image of what comic books should um, should look like and what heroism should aspire to be. This is from at Flatter you, uh, Flatter underscore you. Um, Jason, he's been on our show before. He's amazing and a patron. Um, in a sea of overpowered hypermasculine, uh, hyper uh, hyper uh, in a sea of overpowered hypermasculine, I'm the best there is superheroes. Spider-Man was a human first from the beginning. He drew Spider-Man books to be different from the rest with with more natural colors and real emotions. From amazing fantasy number 15's last pages to ASM's number uh, to ASM number 33. And this is from at Phil DL616, uh, Phil Lindsay. Uh, his costume design for Spidey and figure drawing shaped the way I draw. When I first sketch, when I first started sketching for fun, he's a big part of why Spider-Man is special, in my opinion. And from at Gatsu083, Spider-Man is an inspirational figure to me. No Ditko, no Spider-Man. Uh, and I think that that's it. Pretty sure that's it. So those are our fan, but why those? Um, and I guess, guys, uh, last thoughts on Steve Ditko. I think part of the reason he was so much of a recluse is because he did this art for himself. He understood that it affected people. But at the same time, I think in a lot of ways, he didn't want someone's opinion of the art to affect why he was doing it. Um, because I think when someone is so, you know, not necessarily closed off, but not necessarily as open to talk. Because I think it's, it's hard to talk to fans because you're just like, I don't, it's overwhelming. Um, yeah. And so it, it, it's it's kind of understandable and I can respect it in a way. This idea of I created this art to to further a story I believed in. And, and you know, if people accept that, people do. If they don't, they don't. It's almost like he he didn't care about the accolades, um, and yeah. I think that's that's something that's very respectable. Yeah, which is about kind of what I was gonna say, because kind of like when we summed up Tolkien, of basically he lived in his own little world. 
And so basically he just kind of drew in his own world and stuck and did what he wanted to and didn't worry about anybody else. Yeah. And I will say, I mean, it's sad because like the one, but why those said that we're just now getting to this because he died, which is sad and all, but it is one of those, this is kind of the way he wanted it. Yeah, for yeah, sure. He, yeah. So yeah. not, I mean, as much as it, it, people do need to speak more about him and everything and people know about him per se, but it also one of those, he made sure that's how it was. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, I think our fan, but why those, I think, put it perfectly about his kind of a cultural influence and things like that. Um, I mean, Spider-Man universe, I guess, is probably like the biggest one for me just because um, Spider-Man, the animated series, is like my jam when I was little. And we, I wouldn't have that without Steve. Um, yeah, so I mean, y'all are going to say it better than I can, but like, he, he's, he's, he's great. Uh, I didn't know he was that much of a recluse. But I think, like Matt said, the dude lived his life the way he wanted to live it. And, like, is there really anything better than that? Um, and if you're wondering, you can find the Transformers coloring books from 1984 to 1986 for, like, 30 bucks on eBay. <gasps> That's, not that That's not that bad. That's not that bad. Not that bad. This is how I get a whole bunch of coloring books in my house. Yeah. Um, yeah, for me... Um... When I was doing, it was hard to not, like, it was hard to take notes because I just kept reading articles and reading articles and just getting into the, like, I don't know, just getting into the mindset that Steve Ditko was and his purposes behind making Spider-Man the way he was or how making Strange the way he was. Like, those are the things I like in my heroes and in my villains, like, that pain and that anguish and that hurt and that ordinary peace to them um so i i mean i've learned more about him now and i'm happy that i did and i think now i i don't know i hope i hope so many people listen to this episode and and respect you know what he's put into it you know and understand you know just why certain like certain runs of different types of comics change and how come certain ones resonate with other people that don't resonate with you know or, or like how the same run of or like different runs of the same comic book character might not resonate with the person the same way as like say dead goes dead or you know other things and i think that that's something that um learning more into the process behind making these characters can help people appreciate that um, because they do have a specific thing that they're trying to elicit in their work. Um, yeah, I just really admire admire the guy for like what he did for comics and stuff like that. I think that's it. But yeah, um, so thank you so much for coming on, Lizzie. Thank um, you for having me. It was amazing. Uh, why don't you go ahead and tell everybody where they can find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Lizzie Lynn Garcia. Um, and you can argue with me there or, you know, just talk to me. <laughs> I'm around. She is the queen of bat privilege. So it's true. I do like Batman a lot, <laughs> um, to a point where it's probably concerning. <laughs> um, as always, you can find the podcast at, but why though PC on Twitter, get involved with us there. It's where we're most, we're, it's where we're the most active and make sure you rate review and subscribe to us on iTunes, Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, wherever you're listening to this right now, it really helps us out and helps other people find us. 
And you can find me at Oh My Myth Randier on Twitter. Adrian? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at SuperReese93, S U P E R R U I Z 93. Thank you, Lizzie, so much for coming. Uh, when the Hobbs and uh, movie comes out, you're going to come back and we're going to talk about it. Okay. I like pressure. <laughs> Adrian just loves talking Fast and the Furious things. I'm I'm fine with that. Yeah, it works. <laughs> Matt, <sighs> what? I'm just good. That ruined everything. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, "Don't find me. I'm alone now." <laughs> I've already learned that most people turn their podcast off, and at least by statistically, already by this point. And since I'm the last one to go, and I'm also probably the smallest, most person on this podcast that most people don't even make it this far to my name so i've always just had fun with it for the last like two three months that's like really depressing that's if you're still listening to this podcast, if you're still listening to this podcast right now please show matt some love or it's not even a just, that's just how they it's just what happens you're so you're such a pollyanna matt <laughs> 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 didn't lie to me <laughs> And we're done. Oh yeah. Lizzie, what out what do you want your outro music to be? Uh oh my god. I have a song in mind, but I feel like it's such a fucking Say troll. Uh Africa by Toto. <laughs> always. Fucking always. I like was just listening to that song like on the way home right now, actually. That's the a great song. Version or the original version? No, the original. <laughs> I'm not Weezer that it is. Weezer it is. <laughs>